interesting. We've been doing this for more than a year. Isn't that interesting? Of course, we have an hour for this class, and so we can't really go into the whole thing in detail. But what I want to talk about is mostly going to be found not in the Parsha, but in the Haftorah. Now, there are laws set up in Bahar, in Parshat Bahar. Bahar means at the mountain, or on the mountain, on Mount Sinai. And so, Hashem was giving the people... The and by the way, this starts in Leviticus 25. So Hashem is giving the laws about the Shemitah year, the Yovel year, the Jubilee year, and um, the, the sequence of passages about redemption of the land, the Levite cities, about uh, preventing poverty, so that we take care of the poor. This is a commandment. And by the way. An interesting aside about that is, you know, we always think of ourselves as being so great when we're giving charity to the poor. And what we don't realize is that, in a way, in a very real way, the poor person is the one doing the receiving, is actually the one who is doing a great mitzvah. Because he is giving the opportunity to us to give. And... So when we look at it like that, we can see that this could be a very great soul who is giving us the opportunity to do a mitzvah of giving. So he's doing a mitzvah by helping us do a mitzvah. Um, and then there's passages about slavery. And what is really interesting about this is a lot of times when people think about slavery, they think, well, that's a good that's against rules of the Bible that's against the morality of the Bible but the truth of the matter is slavery itself is in the Bible slavery itself is something that was permitted by Hashem but there were rules about slavery that people had to abide by and so that's something that we have to bear in mind but mostly this was about um, about the times of the year about the Shemitah times of the year about the Jubilee times of the year and then it ends with not making idols for yourself so then we, we get to Bechukotai we have the idea that if you follow these decrees then you're going to have all these blessings and you're going to um, miss out on the curses but then it goes on to say, but if you don't, oh boy, here's what's going to happen to you. There's going to be a series of punishments. It's just like with other things where we have, and then there's this that will happen. And if you don't repent after that, then this is going to happen. And if you still don't repent, then these things are going to happen. And this is exactly like this. So it says, if you don't listen to me, and you will not perform all these commandments if you consider my decrees loathsome can you imagine so that you are annul my covenant that I will do the same to you I will assign upon you panic swelling legion and burning fever which cause eyes to long and souls to suffer you will sow your seeds in vain for your enemies will eat it you will turn I will turn my attention against you. You will be struck down before your enemies. 
Those who hate you will subjugate you. You will flee with no one pursuing you. Now this, when we read these things, when we read the curses in the Torah, the curses of not keeping, that involve the consequence of not keeping the Torah. Think about it. What we're reading about is basically what happens in exile. What we're reading about is the ultimate curse upon the people of Israel is you will be thrown into exile. You will be thrown into exile and all these things will happen to you because you are in exile. And this is what exile looks like. That you will be panicked. That you will be um, a prey to your enemy. That they will come down on you. That you will be fearful. That you will be hated. And despite this, if despite this, the second one, if despite this you don't do what I say, I'll punish you further. Seven ways for your sins. I'll break the pride of your might. I will make the heaven like iron and your land like copper. Your strength will be spent in vain. Your land will be not give its produce. And the tree of the land will not give its fruit. So the first thing that happens, we look at this, and the first thing that's going to happen is there's going to be illness. And there's going to be a dissatisfaction of the soul. And then, the second thing that happens, the people are still in the land of Israel. And then the second thing that happens is that there's going to be a... The land will fail to produce. The sky will not give rain. It will be like iron, not giving rain. If you have casual, if you behave casually with me and refuse to heed me, then I shall lay a further blow on you. This is the third one. Seven ways, like your sins, I will incite the wildlife of the field against you, and I will leave you bereft of your children, decimate your livestock, and diminish you, and your roads will become desolate. Now, sometimes when it says the wildlife, it's talking about the, the nations, the people of the nations. Sometimes. In the fourth one, if you still don't listen, if despite these you will not be chastised toward me, you behave casually with me, then I too will behave toward you with casualness, and I will strike you. Even I, seven ways for your sins, I will bring upon you a sword, avenging the vengeance of a covenant. You will be gathered into your cities, then I will send a pestilence among you, and you will be delivered into the hand of your enemy. When I break for you the staff of bread, ten women will bake your bread in one oven, and they will bring back your bread by weight, and you will eat and not be sated. But even if you have food, it won't satisfy. And this is the fourth one, talking about the enemies coming. If despite this you will not heed me, you behave toward me with casualness, I will behave toward you with a fury of casualness. I will chastise you, even I, seven ways for your sins. You will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters you will eat. I will destroy your lofty buildings and decimate your sun idols. I will cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols and my spirit will reject you. I will lay your cities in ruin and will make your sanctuaries desolate. I will not savor your satisfying aromas. I will make the land desolate, and your foes who dwell upon it will be and your foes who dwell upon it will be desolate, and you will I will scatter among the nations. I will unsheath the sword after you, 
Your land will be desolate and your cities will be a ruin. So the whole idea of Eretz Israel becoming a, a desolate desert, like it did, was the final ultimate curse. Exile was the final ultimate curse. What do we see here? We saw first that you would have fever and legions and burnings and you would be dissatisfied in your soul. And second, if you didn't heed it, heed his words, then he would strike the land and not bring the rain so that the crops would fail. And then the third one was that the, the animals would come up against you. And then the fourth one was a siege of the enemies of the land coming against the people so that they would be in the in, uh, shut up in the cities and have to um, scrape for their food. And then the fifth one, the fifth and the final one, would be a total defeat by the enemies, exile from the land, and that the land would fall desolate. And basically this was because the Shemitah years, the Shemitah years were not heeded, they were not observed. And the survivors among you, and this actually happened, by the way, let me back up. This happened during the Babylonian exile. That the calculation of the years of exile were the number of the Shemitah years that had not been observed. So for this many Shemitah years that had not been observed, the people were exiled. And then they could come back. The survivors among you I will bring weakness into their hearts in the lands of their foes. Now just think about this. Let's, let's just look at this passage and think about it for a moment and we think about like the Holocaust. The sound of a rustling leaf will pursue them. They will flee as one flees from the sword. And they will fall but without a pursuer. They will stumble over one another as in flight from the sword but there is no pursuer. You will not have the power to withstand your foes you will become lost among the nations the land of your foes will devour you because of their iniquity the remnant your remnant will disintegrate in the lands of your foes and become the iniquities of their forefathers because the iniquities of their forefathers are with them as well they will disintegrate then they will confess their sin and the sin of their forefathers for the treachery with which they betrayed me and also for having behaved toward me with casualness. I too will behave toward them with casualness, and I will bring them into the land of their enemies. Perhaps then their unfeeling heart will be humbled, and then they will gain appeasement for their sin. I will remember my covenant with Yaakov, and also my covenant with Yitzhak, and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember, and I will remember the land. The land will be bereft of them, and will... Be appeased for its sabbaticals. Having become desolate of them, they must gain appeasement for their iniquity because they were revolted by my ordinances and because their spirit rejected my decrees. We look at this and it says all the way down to the fifth one where it's like the final one. It's almost like saying that you're going to be totally wiped out. But no, that's not what he's saying. And then he says, and if in the land of your enemies you remember, I'll remember. I'll remember the covenant I have with your fathers. And so 
we're seeing here how this idea, you know, the replacement theology idea that, oh, Israel was was cast out of the land and forgotten and the covenant is broken because they broke it and that's it. Well, that is really a lie. According to the Torah, this is a lie. The worst of the worst happened. The worst, the exile, the exile of Adam is the worst one. And this is the one we're living in. The exile of Adam, where the people of Israel are scattered out among the nations. And it's just like this. If you think about the Holocaust, the Holocaust in, in the 1940s was like exile in a nutshell. All of the horrors that are described in the Torah took place in the Holocaust. You just think about it. Put your mind there and you think, my goodness, all these things took place in the Holocaust. But, overall, com- overall, the final word is that Hashem is saying, but, I'm not going to forget you forever. I'm not going to leave you out there desolate and hopeless. There is hope. There is hope for, re- for repentance, for redemption. There's hope that I'm going to bring you back. I'll remember the covenant with your fathers. But the point that I wanted to make is, this sounds absolutely horrible. It sounds hopeless. It sounds like there's no way that this could be fixed. And you think to yourself, how in the world could this be? How in the world could Hashem have done this? Or how in the world could this have happened to the people of Israel? And how in the world, if this happened, could there be any hope? But yet Hashem is saying there's hope. And another thing is that we look at this and we think to ourselves, it Put our minds back to Nadav and Abihu. Put our minds back there where we see this horrible thing that happened. This death of the two sons of Aaron. This fiery death that happened to them. And we say it happened because they sinned. That's easy to see. That's very easy to see. But yet, Hashem said that by them his name was sanctified his name was sanctified by those who came close to him and he's talking about them and so we see this this correlation it's like two sides of the same coin where yeah they sinned but let's not take this to the point where we misunderstand it so I want us to be sure we understand this correctly they did sin but Hashem then used that sin He turned it around. So, it's not like we should say, oh, well, God is going to turn it around, so I'm going to purposely sin. That's not what we're saying here. But what we're saying here is that even when things look absolutely the worst, absolutely hopeless, Hashem is saying there's still hope. He's saying there's still hope. I still love you. I still have a covenant with you. I am going to do marvelous things through you just like I said it was going to do because this is what is written about you I know the plans I have for you for peace, for hope, for love all of these things and yet what we would see is destruction what we see is the exile, we see the horrors we see the centuries and centuries of suffering yet Hashem was going to use this. And I want us to look at Jeremiah 16, 
starting with the 19th verse. This is the Haftor. And when you start reading this, when you look at this, and you read this along with Bahukotai, I mean, this goes together with Bahukotai. And so, when you first read this, the first verses, it says, O Lord, who is my power and my strength and my refuge in the day of trouble? To you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Only lies have our fathers handed down to us, emptiness in which there is nothing of any avail. Can a man make gods for himself and they are no gods? So here we have, here we have a reason. A reason there had to be a sin. This is a concept that's difficult to get your mind around, but it's a very deep concept. There was a sin. And Hashem takes even the worst things and He turns them for good. There was a sin. Okay, maybe this was not the ideal way for Israel to become the light to the nations, but because of the sin, because of the exile, Israel was scattered out into all of the nations. And Israel was scattered out into all the nations for a reason. And right here in Jeremiah we see, we see a reason. Where the nations are going to say, Only lies have our fathers handed down to us. Emptiness in which there is nothing of any avail. So that the people of Israel are out there. And like Mark Twain said, If you don't believe there is a God, just look at the Jew. The Jew who endures against all odds. And why is that? Other nations have not had the kind of persecution and the kind of hardships that the, that the Jewish people have had. Nobody, no nation has had this kind of persecution century after century like Israel. And by all natural thinking, by all the rules that we would think of, in natural means Israel should not exist today there should not be an Israel today there you look at it and all the odds are against it all the odds are against it the only way that we can say that Israel exists today the only thing we can say is that there is a God there is a God in heaven who keeps his promises if you don't believe it if you want proof all you have to do is look at the Jew and the Jew didn't have to do anything that's just the first step Jew didn't have to do a thing that's very passive all he had to do was just be there just live and that's a witness right there is a witness that's the first step and then the thinking person says okay I see that he's still around. I see that the promises of Hashem, the promises of God, must be of effect. I see that because there he is. He's alive. The nation is there. And everybody's saying, how in the world could that be? How in the world? And it, it boggles the mind. It not only boggles the mind, it also troubles the theologians because it is against their doctrines how in the world they're supposed to be wiped out they're supposed to not exist anymore because they broke the covenant right wrong it's not obliterated because there's this question in your mind okay the covenant was supposed to be two sided and the people of Israel broke the covenant 
bend. It's over, right? And Hashem says no wrong. Because He says, And if out in those nations you remember me, I remember you. I remember my covenant with your fathers, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I remember the covenant. And so He's just by looking at that you can say, Hashem is true to his word even against all odds look at this I mean this is hope this isn't like okay and this this just drives me batty when I hear people talk about the harsh mean God of the Old Testament I mean that is like a person who, it, the people who say that are people who have never really read it I mean if we can say that the people of Israel were told that you're going to have all these wonderful things happen if you keep my commandments but if you don't step one step two step three step four and then at the end that's it do you think that's it but no God says no that's not it if you remember me out there I'm going to remember you and this is a witness just like what Isaiah said you are my witnesses Yes, it's because of being at Sinai and receiving the Torah that we are the witnesses, that we are the light to the nations, that this is the job that Hashem gave to us, the priests of the nations. But it's also just being alive, just surviving against all odds. I mean, think about it. In World War II, Hitler wanted to wipe out the Jewish people totally wipe out the Jewish people he had help I mean the Mufti, Grand Mufti of Jerusalem wanted to help him wipe out the Jewish people of the Middle East he was ready to build concentration camps he was ready to do his part he was really enthusiastic about this this project to wipe out the Jewish people and yet you know, there is a court of heaven. And there is this whole thing of Mida to Negemida. There is this whole thing of measure for measure. And there is this idea that of those people who are the, at the highest positions, the highest levels, Hashem is even more exacting and more demanding. And so, yeah, there were pogroms. There was a Holocaust, which was, the, which was the biggest pogrom of history. Six million people. That is just like unbelievable. I remember one time I was watching a film about the Nuremberg trials. And these Nazis were sitting in their cell and they were talking. And one of them said, six million people. That's not even possible. And another one sat there and he's just kind of thinking and he goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, that was possible. Because he knew, he knew of their machine that they had made for killing. He knew that they had very systematically done this. Oh yeah, that was possible. And yet in spite of it, it's like, it's like coming out of that fire and building something all new 
It was like that fire of the Holocaust, which means a fiery offering. That fire of the Holocaust was a purging. And many people in Israel do say that the Holocaust was like a sacrifice for the sins of the people. All these things. And there are people who talk about that the people who died in the Holocaust were the ones sold to the wilderness and they were paying a lot of things, a lot of things that people think about. But overall, the point is that Israel survived, that the people of Israel, the Jewish people survived. And in that Eichmann trial, I mean, he sat there and he was like unmoved. He knew he was going to die, but he didn't seem to bother him. And he laughed that they had, I think it was 70% that he laughed that they had killed 70, I don't remember whether it was 70 or 80%. It was this huge number of the, of the Torah scholars of the people of Israel. So there was a lot of having to rebuild, relearn, a lot of having to build from the foundations back again because there was so much lost in the Holocaust. So, the point that I'm making, though, is that Shem even worked through all these horrors, all of these things, to bring this to the focus, to bring this to the attention of the world, and then to bring the people back to the land of Israel. And we could say that the nation of Israel that exists today, the modern nation of Israel, is not a Torah nation. It's not. But there is more Torah being learned in the land of Israel. There's more Torah being learned there now than there has been than there is in any part of any other part of the world. So it is phenomenal. It is absolutely phenomenal what has happened. What rose out of the ashes of the Holocaust is absolutely phenomenal. So we have to understand that, that even in the times of the most horrific things going on in history, that Hashem is still working, and there is that turning it around, that Hashem is, in spite of everything that we see with our eyes, that Hashem is still the ultimate giver of good, the ultimate, that there is ultimately good in what He does. And even in the most horrible things that we see, the most horrible things that are happening, that he can turn that around and use it as a vessel for good. That he's still going to pour his light into the world through this vessel. That he's always perfecting it. So that's why, I mean, there is a book that was written by uh, a man. Oh, let me just get this book down. He doesn't sign his name as the author. He says, Kassetnik 135633. And this was the number that they tattooed on him. He was a, a survivor of Auschwitz. And it was very difficult for him to even come to where he could write this book. And it's like the most incredible book. Um, if you ever have a chance to get this book 
I had heard about it when I was in Israel. Um, let's see here. His name is Janur is his last name. Let me see, what is his first name? And he had a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble retelling things about the Holocaust, about what happened to him. In fact, in the book it talks about his being one of the witnesses in the Eichmann trial and he couldn't even he couldn't even testify because the words just wouldn't come out. And so there was a psychiatrist in Amsterdam who was doing a very, very controversial type of treatment of Holocaust survivors in order to help them bring these memories out and be able to deal with them in a way that they could then be able to speak them to get them out and to be able to look at them in a way that was not so horrifying to be able to just handle it and to be able to go on with their lives so his I don't think I mentioned this his controversial method of treatment and I know that this is going to be a little bit difficult for all of you but it was with LSD and I'd heard this I had heard about this when I was in Israel it's a relatively new book it was written in the 90s so it was after he had gone through so much and he had not been able to do he had not been able to handle it he had not been able to come to terms with things and finally his wife had read about this treatment and she convinced him to go and even going through that he had a lot of trouble and he was not able to really respond like other people who participated in the program but he was finally you know they they recorded the sessions and part of it he would just be crying he would just be crying about what happened or he'd just be saying a, a phrase of something and the psychiatrist would be asking him, who are you talking about? Who are you saying this to? And he couldn't even speak it. It was so horrifying to him. He couldn't even speak it. And then finally, finally, he was able to take those tapes. And he was able to sit with those tapes. And he was able to write this book. It was, you go through this book and you understand that it's being written like a stream of consciousness writing so some of it is symbolic because of it's being brought out with the LSD but one of the things that I found really striking and it's even the name of the book it is called Shaviti and there's one scene the, the front of the book is actually has a picture of a man standing in his talit in his tefillin and behind him are these Nazi soldiers laughing and this man is standing there in prayer and so this man in this book is talking about how he would look at these Nazis and he would look at this horrifying scene in his camp 
and he would see it's like so many times people would say where was God not him he's saying Shaviti actually means I place and it's from the psalm I place your name before me always and so he said and he could see the Shaviti in flames he could see the name of God in flame over these Nazis he could see it he could see it there that in spite of what was going on and it was horrifying and it was more than he could stand it almost destroyed him it almost destroyed his mind as he's seeing all of these things again as he went through it the first time and he's seeing it again but through it all he's not saying where was God even in the concealment of Hashem even in the concealment of his presence he's there and for those certain people they could still see it and so here he is he's in this horrible place and he looks and he can see in the sky the flames of the, of the letters of Hashem over this horrible place and I mean I read that and I was like that is just like the most amazing thing I ever read I was like I I sat down and I read this book from cover to cover in one sitting without getting up except once for a drink of water and I was just thinking about this I mean how amazing this thought is that in the midst of horrible horrible things that there is a soul and I'm sure there were more than one there was more than one who could look through it and they're not dancing for joy I mean come on it's a horrible thing but they look through it anyway and they see what do they see they see a flame we see the names of Hashem in the sky in flame and this is what they're bringing to the world this suffering this is why I was saying about Nadav and Avihu that it was a template a template of Jewish martyrdom throughout the centuries that Hashem knew this was coming he knew it was going to happen and in that death of Dandav and Avihu was set the template that was going to play out again and again and again and again and it's all for in spite of this horror in spite of the dirt in spite of the all this pain still it is sanctification of Hashem's name in the world because it's yeah it was brought about by sin yes that's inescapable that's a fact it was brought about by sin but that the thing that is just so amazing about this is how even that Hashem takes it and he turns it around he remolds it and this becomes a vessel of his light in the world that even the horror even the punishment for the sin is going to become a vessel for his light in the world the exile itself was the ultimate punishment for violating the laws of Hashem it was the ultimate the ultimate punishment and the Holocaust was the epitome of that exile every single curse you could see in that in the Holocaust but yet Hashem took that thing that exile that we see epitomized in the Holocaust and he remolds it 
that yes even out of this there's going to come it's going to be a vessel for his light and this is what we see here what, what Jeremiah is saying when he is prophesying this that the nations are going to come from the ends of the earth and say and why are they going to come from the ends of the earth and say what would be the reason why would they know why would they have even seen that would cause them to say it it's because of the witness and that's what the vessel is all about it's the witness that there are these souls who can look through these mocking faces that are just wanting to inflict pain and horror and look beyond them and see in the sky the flame of the letters in the name of Hashem I mean that just blows my mind when I think about that the wonder of that that Hashem can do something like that I see that somebody was writing so in the 21st verse he picks it up and he says therefore behold I let them know at this time I will let them know my power and my might and they shall know that my name is the Lord my name is it is Hashem now let me look at this to make sure this is what the name is no it isn't actually yes it is it is Ki Shmi Yudchei The sin of Judah is written with an iron, with a pin of iron, with a diamond point engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. As they remember their children, so do they remember their altars and their asherim by the green trees upon the high hillocks. You who sit upon the mountains in the field, I will give you your substance all your treasures for a spoil your high places are made for sin within your, all your borders and you even of yourself shall release your heritage that I gave you and I will make you serve your enemies in that land that you know not for you kindled fire in my nostrils that shall burn forever so says the Lord cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes mortal muscle his power and turns his heart away from the Lord he shall be like a lonely tree in the desert he will not see when good comes and he will dwell on parched land in the desert on salt sodden soil that is not habitable blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord to whom the Lord is his confidence for he shall be like a tree planted by water and by a rivulet he shall spread his roots and he will not see when heat comes and this leaves shall be green and in the year of drought he will not be anxious neither shall he cease from bearing fruit the heart is deceitful above all things and when it is sick who will recognize it I the Lord search the heart test the kidneys to give everyone according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds the cuckoo calls but is not laid so is he who gathers riches but not by right he shall leave them in the midst of his days and in, at his end he stands there dishonored 
As the throne of glory, salted from being, so is the place of our sanctuary. The Lord is the source of the hopes of Israel. All that forsake you shall be shamed. And they who turn away from me shall be marked out on the earth that they have forsaken the source of living waters. The Lord, heal me, O Lord. Then I shall be healed. Help me. Then I shall be helped. For you are my praise. And this is the end of the Haftorah that is a prayer of healing. It is this prayer of healing that is saying that even in spite of everything, everything that I have gone through, in spite of the pain, in spite of all of my suffering, in spite of everything, that even the things that have come to me because I deserved it, even that, please, heal me. And it's a belief that Hashem will because Hashem is the giver of good. Now that doesn't mean that when we say that Hashem is the ultimate giver of good, it does not mean that everything is going to go hunky-dory and always go your way. That is not what that means. Because our sojourn in the world is not about everything going our way. If that were the case, then we couldn't grow as, as people. We couldn't grow as spiritual beings and that's the reason we're in the world to grow as spiritual beings to grow in a way that Hashem wants us to grow so even through those bad times that He will use those things for our good so that we can grow after the second temple they were all cast out to Europe and they were welcome but time passed Hashem had decided it was time for his people to go home but they had been settled in there so I feel he used the Nazi monsters to break them loose so they could go home and rebuild Israel again and yes that is that is one that is one point and it has been said many times that if it hadn't been for the Holocaust there wouldn't have been a state of Israel that the nations wouldn't have voted for the state of Israel and there may be something to that but you see the problem is that we live in such a world a world that is so far from perfect and we as human beings make mistakes and we are so 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 far from perfect and we're being conformed so we can come to perfection our souls are being conformed and it's like when you polish a stone that you can't use a soft cloth. When you first start shaping it, you have to use something that's pretty rough. You know, that first grit is pretty rough. When you start to actually polish it off, the grit becomes smoother and smoother. But when you first start, you have to, you know, knock it down and shape it. You have to use a pretty large grit and so it's going to be pretty rough so in the beginning of when we have to have our souls refined and we have to have them shaped we can ha- need to have some pretty hard knocks then even the smaller things that happen to us maybe we don't need anything quite so huge anymore but the smaller things can happen to us to just kind of refine that and smooth it over because we can become more sensitive to feeling it more deeply 
even the subtle things more deeply. But on the other hand, sometimes it's these people who are very, very, very large souls who can bear that better than somebody who's not on that level maybe. And maybe even somebody who is a very, very large soul might not be the Rebbe of the community. He could be the beggar of the community. We don't know because we don't see the way Hashem sees. But the point that I want to make here, the real point I want to make, is about this whole idea of healing and the whole idea about when we get sick and when we have these things that we bear. That there is a purpose. That Hashem will use those things. That He will turn those things. And we should never think to ourselves that we're beyond hope. That He's written us off. And the example is right here in the Torah. And it's right here in the Hoth Torah. What He does with Israel. He says, even if you go to the very ultimate of breaking my commandments. Which obviously happened. It did. It happened. But even so, He's not giving up hope on you that even there from there even at the farthest ends of the earth he says I will bring you back I will know where you are you won't be lost from me and I will remember my covenant with you and that holds true for every person every person that Hashem has a plan for each one of us and that he remembers exactly what that plan is. And he remembers that covenant with our souls that he made before we even came into the world. This is a very true thing on a national level for Israel. Yeah. And it's also very true for each individual person. Because each individual person, and I've said this many times, but we have to remember this. Each individual person, before you came into the world, your soul stood before the throne of Hashem. And your soul heard from Hashem everything that, it, that you were going to do. Everything you were supposed to do. And there's this knowledge inside. You know, we have this in the Haftorah about the baby. Before the baby is even born, how the baby is learning Torah. and sees the world from one end of the, to the other. And it's being taught the Torah by the angel. And then when it, the baby is born, we get this shh. So the finger goes here over the lip and the baby comes into the world and forgets, can't remember. So the idea is that we go through our lives and the things that happen to us help us to remember. Where we start learning Torah and it's not like, oh wow, I never heard that before. It's more like, ah, oh, yeah, that's right. Because deep inside our souls, we know this is true. We know this is true. And this is true for every person. And the reason it's true for every person is because the foundation of the Torah itself is the seven laws of Noah. So we have that foundation of the Torah applies to every single person across the board, across the, the world, every single person is affected by this. So you have this inside you. The Torah. All of the Torah. That you know it's true. So, that's the hope. That's the hope. And that's the covenant that he gives to each person. 
Does anyone have anything that you would like to talk about or add to this? Questions? And if you would like to order this book, I found it on at Amazon.com. And I really recommend every person read this book, this Shaviti. And actually, it is spelled a little bit differently than I always thought of Shaviti being spelled in English. I will spell it for you. And it's called A Vision. So if you want to order that book, I would really recommend that you do. And I guarantee you, you will be spellbound reading it. I was just cover to cover. I just, I couldn't stop. It was amazing. And it's not like one of these books where a person says, like, where was God and so on. Oh. I'm not saying that Jewish life in Europe was always wonderful, but what uh, from what I've learned, but it had gotten to be better than before. They speak of how odd it was that many of the people were kind to them until the Nazis stirred up old hatreds, and that's true. The Nazis did stir up hatred of the Jews all over the place because they needed a scapegoat. They needed somebody that they could blame everything on. The economy was bad. They said, "Oh, it's the Jews." No, it wasn't the Jews, it was the Depression. You know, it's like what the Arabs do. I mean, now, the Arabs are tyrants. They're vicious tyrants to their own people. And instead of dealing with the problem as it stands, no, it's always it's Israel's fault. It's the same type of thing, always blaming someone else. Listening to you describe the hope we all have has brought tears. Very personal hope is real. And that's very true, Debbie. It is real. Because Hashem's love for us is very, very real. And we see this in these promises. I mean, if he was really this vicious, harsh God that so many people portray, the God of the Old Testament, as they say, he would not have said, and even so, I love you. And even so, I'll bring you back. And I will remember you. He wouldn't have said that. He would have said, too bad. In a story. Next. I'll get a new people. And he did not do that. Because he is, he is a God of his word. He is truthful. He is trustworthy. His love, his care is trustworthy. We might not be able to always trust people around us. But we can always trust Hashem. And even if things go in a way that we don't understand why in the world it's happening this way, that trust needs to grow inside of us to where we can say, even so, I know that Hashem loves me and I know that whatever is happening is for my ultimately for my good. And that is really coming to a, a faith in Him. It's not faith only when things are going good. Oh, you know, it's like the Janis Joplin song about, Lord, give me uh, Mercedes Benz and all this other stuff. That's 
you know, that's infantile thinking. That's not conforming our soul the way we're supposed to be doing. And that's the point. His goodness to us is to help us to be everything we're meant to be. To help us to become, literally, we have the potential in this world and he means for us to be partners with him. If you read the creation story and you see what he said to Adam, you see how he said, tend the garden, you see how he told him, name the animals, and all of these things that he said to Adam, you realize that ultimately human beings are supposed to be in this world as partners to Hashem. Active partners to Hashem. I'm not saying, you know, like we're gods or anything like that. Don't misunderstand me. But I am saying that the human soul is the ultimate of his creation. That the human soul is the only creation that he created in his own image. Not even the angels. Let me think about that. Not the animals, not the angels. No other creature, no other creation was made in his image except for us, the human soul. What an amazing thing. And sometimes we lose sight of that. We get so bound up in our own fleshly existence that we lose sight of the fact of the potential, amazing potential that Hashem created us to be. And we've seen it in in the Torah. We've seen how Moshe ascended to the mountain and he came back and he was glowing. He wasn't even like human anymore as we know it. He was actually superhuman. He was actually the ultimate of the human being. Like Adam. We look at Hanukkah. You know, Enoch. How he knew God and he was not. He walked with God. He went up into heaven alive and he just transformed into this creature of light. Exactly this is what we are created to be. And that is what he is doing with us in this world. And if we can just have faith in that and not lose sight of it and always know that whatever is going on is conforming us and conforming us and working our souls so we can ascend and become like this little faith by Janice she asked the Lord to buy her <laughs> like he couldn't just make it happen <laughs> yeah I know but see this is the this is the infantile kind of faith that people have of oh give me this oh give me that and if you don't give me that then you don't love me right that is so infantile I mean you think about it it's just like we're supposed to get beyond that and I'm not talking about not having anything that's not what I'm talking about either but I'm talking about having a balanced life in this world where we can balance the physical and the spiritual because this is where he wants us to be he put us into a physical world in order to live in a physical world but we're not supposed to abuse it we're supposed to mesh together the physical and the spiritual. We're not supposed to be animals only satisfying our physical desires. But we're also not supposed to just say, oh, this is all evil. Because it's not. That's a Gnostic idea. And it is not all evil. 
Hashem created things that are physical blessings to us. When we have Shabbat, we're supposed to enjoy Shabbat. We're supposed to have nice clothes. We're supposed to set the table nicely with nice dishes, nice glasses, everything. We're supposed to bring out nice food. And this glorifies Hashem, that we are celebrating the day that He rested from creation. And so, you know, this is the this is the real challenge to balance those two things. To have the experience of getting to be human and to, exactly of getting to be human, truly, truly human, of what that really means. Like Adam. To becoming, you know, it's almost like we could say, of getting to be Adam. The experience of getting to be Adam. And that was the ultimate. Even Adam had to say, i got to get back to being Adam. You know, because he fell. And he had to get it back. But he didn't. And so we have stories of, of the struggles and, and how the different ones were trying to get back to this. And that's our challenge, to get back to this. So, this is a really good prayer. Does everybody have this? Um, you could write it down. And it's Leviticus 17, verse 14. And it's, Heal me, O Lord, then shall I be healed. Help me, then shall I be helped. For you are my praise. I mean, can you imagine just thinking, you are my praise. The ultimate of lifting up our souls to touch Hashem. And this is what we're supposed to do. That no matter what, that we're looking into the sky and we can see the name of Hashem in flame. Through the good times, through the bad times, saying, you are my praise. And this lifts us up. So, does anybody else have a comment or a question? And Colleen, I don't think I've ever seen you in this class, and I would like to welcome you to join us again. We meet every week on Monday night. And tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, we're going to be having our class on healing at 8 o'clock. Tomorrow night is a very full night for classes. We start at 7 o'clock with Alan Cecil, and then my class is at 8. And this is Central Time, I'm sorry, Central Time. And then at 9 o'clock is Rabbi Joel Bax, and he is teaching class about Adam. A very interesting class. So, we've come to the end of our hour, and I really thank all of you for joining me. I have gotten a lot out of the class, and I um, hope you have as well. So, I'm going to turn off the recording.